Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and joined with me today is... I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from Twisted Tentacle Inn. And today we're going to be going back into Delta Green's Iconoclast. Uh, this will be part two of our three-part review series, so if you haven't listened to part one, we'd highly recommend you do so. But before you do, we want to warn you that there will be spoilers throughout all three of these reviews. So if you are a player looking to experience Iconoclast, we would recommend that you send your handler to these episodes, and we will see you all in our next episode. The previous chapters were the the players get to take control of ISIL enforcers, basically. They go into making an example of someone who was collecting artifacts that were blasphemous and things like that. And uh, they met a very horrible fate. And that scenario, the way it plays out, the players get to play some of the ISIL agents. Most of them are doomed. A couple may be able to survive, but for the most part, it's it's a doomed mission. And that scenario in the beginning of this part plays as kind of like the video that the agents are watching in the middle of the beginning of this briefing. So it, the briefing begins with the actual agents that the players want to play in the campaign proper, uh, and they are watching the events that unfolded when they played as the ISIL agents. Exactly. The book provides eight pre-generated characters suited for the mission at hand uh, that can serve as agents for the players or as backup agents should uh, should the handler need them. For groups looking to make their own characters, I would still recommend that handlers try to incorporate these MP, uh, these characters in some way as NPCs, just in the event that you need to kind of quickly... Uh, have a character ready for for a player in case something well (laughs) untimely happens to their agent as can happen in delta green but also these agents have the pre-generated agents have a lot of skills each one of them has more than one skill that is absolutely necessary for different parts of the mission you know the agents themselves aren't the pre-gens aren't required but they're definitely helpful because they've they're carefully curated to be to have the skills necessary for that but as long as players have some of those skills available to them if they make their own agents. They should be okay, but I agree with you, Nate, that these should be incorporated one way or another, either as NPCs or have on the sidelines as If you do wish to have your players sure. make their own agents, the uh, the book does provide a good list of uh, skills that the, the agents would probably want to have just in case. Uh, definitely take a look through that list and... I would honestly just probably write it down and give it to your players and be like, okay, these are the types of skills that we're looking for in agents for this mission. So plan accordingly. So the the chapter is pretty short compared to other chapters in this book. For the most part, uh, we were talking about this before we started recording. Most of the chapter is a bunch of handouts. <laughs> I mean, there, there are parts of the chapter that are not handouts, but it's the briefing and it's going over everything with the with the player characters so that their agents can actually know what they have in store and what they need to do, what their actual mission is. There are several slides that are being presented in quotes to the agents during this briefing. And it begins with the first slide kind of discussing a summary of what they think happened in the video that they just watched. Pretty straightforward. And then they kind of go into some of the background information for their actual mission, which they're naming Operation Bonebox. They give sh- they give some pictures and 
of the uh, like aerial shots of the areas where they need to visit, specifically the home in Mosul, the home of Tariq Mohammed Rassam, who, if you recall or if you listen to our first part of the review, is was a Delta Green agent at one point and has a bunch of artifacts in his home. Was because he was raided. Uh, the there was a incursion that was released because of that invasion by the ISIL agents. Colonel Gwen, their Delta Green case officer, uh, informs them that they they have very specific orders. They are to cover up operations regarding this incident. Uh, they are to investigate the incursion. They are to neutralize any of the threat. They are to perform operational security, and then they're they're given a timetable of events. And they're given some background information on what Delta Green knows about Tariq Mohammed Rassam, which is pertinent to the investigation because a lot of this can lead the characters into some other side quests and things like that to help them gather more intel to properly contain this incursion. Colonel Glenn also informs them that they will be given cover identities. Um, they will be part of a task force uh, that will be stationed out at the U.S. Air Force Base out in Iraq. I personally really like these slides. I think it would be really, really cool if as a handler you, you created like a PowerPoint presentation and showed these to your players and allowed them like, you know, a brief moment between slides to take notes and sort of get them immersed in this presentation and really like really sell it to them that this is like a military operation and like give it that give it that weight and that gravity to it the immersion is really it's bar none one of the best i've seen in a delta green operation the briefing this is the most detailed briefing that we've had in a delta green official operation and i agree with you the slides are, are awesome they really they really immerse you in the feeling that okay this is serious this is like legitimate we're about to go in this thing <laughs> all in military operation i mean there's nothing like it in delta green right now uh, so that's pretty cool and and also it helps with just being organized you know i like how it's this chapter definitely doesn't beat around the bush it's like these are your orders this is what you need to do like here's the steps you need to investigate and then you need to neutralize and then they give you a list of ally organizations that you should be working with or you could be working with and how to deal with those organizations. So, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that next in the next chapter later on in this review today. But uh, yeah, it's, it's so well organized. I think it really would help the agents put it all together. And cause this, this campaign can be rather overwhelming. It's so big and so open that I could see beginner players. And I think we mentioned this last time that this is definitely meant for more experienced agents and handlers, and th this chapter really helps at least rein that in a little bit, but I think it, it definitely helps even the most advanced players. I like that there's also this sort of idea, like you give this presentation, and then Colonel Gwynn has a brief moment to answer any of the questions that both the players and the agents may have, mm -hmm. and he can sort of you know, take that time to answer any of their questions before moving on with the rest of the scene. So after he's collected, you know, after he's answered any of their questions, he'll collect all their phones and anything else that they may have on them, and he leads them into a base stockade. So he takes their stuff and he leads them into an interrogation room with a two-way mirror where they see... 
an older gentleman handcuffed to a table, who is then introduced to uh, the the team as Sloane. And Sloane, Vase, why don't you tell us who Sloane is and why he's here? Sloane is a member of the Outlaws, which is super cool. Like you said, I love this part too, because this is the first time you actually have kind of a clashing of the two Delta Greens. And if you're not familiar, in the Agent's Handbook and the Handler's Guide, they talk about the two different sides of Delta Green. There's the program, which is the officially, kind of, sort of, officially government conspiracy sanctioned group that uh, kind of spun off from the original Delta Green. But then there's the Outlaws, which was a Delta Green that spun off and is not working under any kind of government sponsorship. Sloan actually is a member of the Outlaws. So in this campaign, your agents play as members of the program. So now you're kind of meeting, there's a meeting of the two Delta Greens, and Sloan calls it the real Delta Green. He calls himself a member of the real Delta Green, which are the Outlaws. But the Outlaws, they are, it's a much harder job for them because even though they're fighting on the same side, they are doing things illegally, and of course, they also don't have the kind of resources and backing that uh, the program has. But then the agents get to speak with Sloan and kind of discuss certain things regarding the case. Yep. So, so Sloan will mention that um, Rassam was a World War II Delta Green asset who dropped who dropped off back in 1970 before Delta Green was disbanded. Sloan knows that Rassam reached out to Delta Green to get the Throne of Blood, which is this artifact that contains the Father of War, out of out of Iraq and somewhere safe. So Sloan and a partner of his organized a pickup with Rassam, uh, but that was when ISIL, uh, the team that the the players got to play as, struck first. They got there too late. <laughs> and Sloan claims that he took the camera and the stopper for the Amphora for what he calls, quote, obvious reasons. Well, once the agents ask about the stopper, and even if they don't, Sloan kind of mentions to Gwyn that it is very important for the agents to know about the stopper. And the big secret is, well, the stopper actually contains an etched elder sign, which is a huge reveal uh, the mythos lore, the Elder Sign, is kind of a universal either spell or ritual and, and uh, a sign that helps keep some of those Elder things at bay or kind of can has power over them. It's clear that the stopper or the, the cover for this amphora was used to contain something within the, the Throne of Blood, within the amphora. And so that, I think that reveal is is pretty large and kind of might help the agents realize just what they're dealing with, that something has escaped and something really, really bad is, is happening in Mosul. When when the stopper is eventually brought out after Gwyn grows through the extra protocol to have two Marine MPs uh, escorting another woman with the suit, like, handcuffed to her, to her <laughs> wrist. It's a real show. <laughs> they make a whole show out of it. Like, guards, you know, parading or, or walking in front of this agent that's wearing a bulletproof vest and has a handcuffed briefcase it's like really just quite the show they really make a, a scene out of it yeah and colonel gwen their case officer will will make mention that the stopper is supposedly it's it's capable of hypergeometry which if you're unaware is magic it's mythos magic in the world of delta green 
And and Sloan will comment, yeah, it's the real shit. <laughs> it's the real deal. And he will basically, Sloan will go on to say that the Delta Green that he's a part of lacked the resources necessary to to scour Iraq once kind of shit hit the fan. So he sought out the program in search of help. Yeah, and and it's not until you get to the next chapter that you'll realize exactly why the outlaws just didn't have the resources because it is quite a large endeavor to contain this and to go through, not only because Mosul is such a like crazy war zone and you're going to have to deal with agencies that are you know, normally international threats to American interests, but you also have to somewhat globetrot as well and uh, make visits to different parts of the world. So it's a very, very large endeavor that there, there's absolutely no way that a group like the Outlaws would, would have been able to handle it on their own. So the program has the resources necessary to handle something like this. I mean, if anyone does, they do. Sloan, Sloan will answer some questions regarding the father of war and what Rassam was up to. And he'll, he'll make note of uh, what he calls winds unknown to Adad, which was some sort of a Syrian uh, series of tablets or some ancient tome that he was looking into that made mention of the father of war. And he'll, he'll sort of give the, the agents a couple of breadcrumbs to begin their research once they get into Iraq. As a, as a handler, I highly recommend that you repeat and re-repeat those breadcrumbs because if you've ever ran any kind of role-playing game, you know that players tend to latch on to some things that might seem completely minute to you, but they'll latch on to that, and then the things that you've been like harping on, it, it'll go in one ear and out the other, and they won't think it's important for whatever reason, so... Those breadcrumbs are important because in the next section, you may end up having a situation where the agents don't know what to do next. So if you if you make it clear that these are the breadcrumbs uh, that they at least have to start with, then you at least have a place for them to, to go. And I, I think to kind of add on to that point, I would also keep a list as the handler of what clues the players have been given. So that at any point, either between sessions or when you're when you're prepping for future sessions, you have all the clues that they are aware of so that you can keep yourself organized and so that you can plan accordingly. Organization is key. <laughs> this campaign, unlike any other, it is so open-ended and there are so many little moving parts. It is most definitely important to do what Nate said. Keep track uh, of all the clues, keep track of, you know, all the things involving uh, areas where they're going to visit, organizations they're going to be dealing with, because it's going to be very easy to get overwhelmed if you don't prep ahead. If, if you're going to prep for any kind of session, it's going to be the sessions running this campaign that you will absolutely have to prep for. Unlike Impossible Landscapes, where it's kind of episodic, or other Delta Green individual scenarios that are much smaller in scale, this one is pretty massive, and there's just so much, so many different directions that the players can take it. It's going to throw you off guard, and if you're not prepared or organized, you're going to be sitting there with a lot of dead air, looking through pages and pages and trying to make sense of it all. Even if you've read through the whole book before, which I highly recommend you do before you even run this, it's not one of those books that you're going to be able to run off the cuff. 
there are some scenarios like that that you can do that, like the Monster of the Week scenarios, you know. All those you can kind of wing, you know. They're pretty straightforward. This, you cannot do that. <laughs> you definitely want to prep ahead and read ahead maybe even several times before you run any session of this campaign. I, I think to that point, I would almost make this whole second chapter at least a session in and of itself because there's so much information that you need to relay to the players with both the slide presentation and then their meeting with Sloan, that that should really take a session in in and of itself. Yeah, and doing it all in one session will also help to highlight the importance of a lot of the information. Like Nate was saying, it'll give you time and it'll give the players time to absorb it and let it simmer, you know, for a week till the next session or however many weeks till the next session. That way it is ingrained that this is these are the things that they have. This is the information they have. These are the things that they need to be doing. And I, I think for a meta purpose as well, ending it there allows you to ask your players what they think they're going to start researching when they first get there so that you can you can prep that ahead of time and have sort of what I like to call like one and a half sessions worth of prep done in these type of sandbox campaigns. Super good tip. Yeah, if you've never run a sandbox, that is a that is kind of like a... <laughs> cheat code, I guess, for, for handlers and, and game masters and stuff. If you're running an open-ended world, it's definitely always a good idea near the end. Like ending it in a scene, like you said, this is perfect because you're giving them all these places where they can start and then let them tell you they might, you know, figure out that session or within a couple of days before your next session, hey, I think we're going to end up going here. And that way you can read ahead and prep that section to make it a smoother and easier session. Yeah. And then, you know, if you prep a little more than what you need, then you can sort of fit pieces in where, you know, where you need them. Because players are unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> but the scene ends with uh, Colonel Gwen eventually bringing them back to the briefing room where uh, he will hand them the briefcase as he watches one of them handcuff uh, the briefcase to their wrist. He'll put a keychain around their neck. And he'll stress to them the importance of what they're carrying. And then he'll provide them with a second briefcase, uh, the second of which contains all of the data that they have about the Rassam incident, uh, along with about hundred over $100,000 in cash to do with as they please. He'll tell them that, they're, that there's a transport vehicle waiting for them to take them to the airport. And then from there, they will be... Uh, flown to Kirkuk Airport in Iraq. Then we start with part three, which is the actual campaign. Now uh, the players, it's in their court and they basically have free reign to do as they please to manage the investigation and the containment of the incursion. So chapter three or part three is called Evil of the Whisperer and the agents land at, um, at the airport and then they kind of just have to arrive at the command post and from there piece it all together and, and figure out what they're going to be doing next. Um, most of the first part of this chapter is going to detail some of the equipment that the agents may want to get, but be very careful when, when presenting this to them. They got over $100,000 in cash that they can use to purchase some of this equipment. And I know certain players 
will have a tendency to just want to spend it all on buying a bunch of equipment, especially like high-powered weapons and things like that. Make it clear to them. Do not let them just spend it all on things like that because this type of campaign and this type of scenario isn't all going to be combat and buying equipment for that is going to be a huge waste of money and then they won't have resources left for the really important stuff. Later on in the chapter, it details that sometimes you'll have to bribe uh, some of the agents from other agencies that you'll be working with. Sometimes you'll have to make purchases for those agencies, weapons that are going to be used against American interests. But unfortunately, it's kind of like the lesser evil, <laughs> lesser of two evils, because the information they give you is going to help Americans far more and help the world far more than it's going to harm. But you'll need to make those kind of backroom deals with these agencies. And if you don't, if your players have spent all their cash buying weapons, high powered weapons and bulletproof vests, they're not going to have the kind of money needed to perform these kind of tasks. And I know in my group, I have a player that will most definitely do that kind of thing. So uh, it's probably pretty important to let your players know, hey, don't be too too loose with your spending because this money is all you're going to get. And there are going to be some things that you're going to need that money for. And to that note, not only is it a concern of money, but it's a concern of keeping their operation on the down low. If they're trying to obtain all this equipment, that's going to raise red flags both with government officials on the U.S. side, but other factions are going to be prying into their business as well, and that will that will cause complications for their operation. Any favor that, they, that they're looking for or any question they need answers will ultimately get them noticed by someone. And that's a theme that recurs throughout this chapter. Because they're dealing with espionage and just international relations, especially with enemies, American enemies and interests that are absolutely ne necessary to deal with in order to complete this mission, it is kind of a fine line they're going to have to thread when dealing with these with these organizations. And the chapter does provide some help in providing information of what will be needed if, if players decide, if the agents decide to deal with some of these organizations like the Iraqi Intelligence Service, the Kurds, um, Special Forces in Iraq, or the Mossad, you know, the Israeli uh, Secret uh, Service. There's a lot of agencies that they're going to have potential access to. And they'll also even be provided some fake identities as ISIL agents or ISIL soldiers, which is another dangerous endeavor for them to have for once they go into Mosul. But they'll need these in order to navigate through Mosul undisturbed or mostly undisturbed. So these are all little factors that are going to play into this massive investigation and campaign that the players are going to be taking part of. And it's all stuff that you, as the handler, will need to keep track of. So it's it's just one piece that you'll want to, to keep note of is, oh, who are they sharing these IDs with? Who will sort of poke and prod into into them? And what will they learn? You know, how, how willing are the players to kind of flaunt these IDs around and kind of poke their, poke their nose where it doesn't belong, so to speak? The chapter provides... Uh, a bunch of sample identities for the players, and Colonel Gwen will definitely stress to them, like, do not use these unless necessary. Like, you are you are in enemy territory, and these are not going to hold up to intense scrutiny. Uh, but like Vase was saying, the, the operation will then uh, provide the agents with more handouts as far as various factions and some notes about those factions and their relations to the agents themselves. It's a very complex chapter. 
you're going to want to read through it several times and you're going to probably want to take a ton of notes. And when when you realize like what where the players are going to be headed, you're also probably going to want to refresh on that particular agency that the that the agents are going to be dealing with or whatever it is that they're going to be doing. It's going to get very very complicated and not just what the book provides as far as like which agency is good with human intelligence, which agency is good with technical intelligence and military action, but also what those agencies require in order to provide information or assets to the agents. So like the agents may go up to, let's just say the CUDS force and they have really good human intelligence. So they'll be able to get information regarding individuals, but they may want some weaponry from from the American military. And you're going to have to provide that and make some backroom deals with some intelligence agencies from the American intelligence community. So you're going to be making deals to make other deals and this kind of thing. So not only is this chapter providing you all these complex intricacies that each agency has, but you yourself running this based on what the players do are going to have to keep track of, okay, the agents are dealing with the American intelligence community to gather a tank that they're going to provide to the Iraqis, you know, intelligence service. And then the Iraqi intelligence service is going to provide them information that's going to lead them into ISIL. But now they're going to want to use their cover identities in ISIL to bring in the information that the Iraqi intelligence, it just gets super complicated. So taking notes as a handler is your best friend here. It is going to get very, very complex. It could be really fun doing this kind of campaign. It's definitely not for everyone. It could be really fun, but it is, and I, and I keep harping on it, but it's integral for this to run properly, that you are as detailed or as organized as possible. Uh, the rest of the chapter then goes on to kind of outline where the players may start their investigation, whether it's investigating the Rassam incident and going into more detail about uh, what happened there, potentially uh, infiltrating and getting stuff from from the house itself, which is no easy task, as ISIL has that place constantly guarded. There's also the possibility that the agents might start elsewhere. They might start with looking into finding survivors from the incident, if any of them happened to survive. Uh, the, the players now will have the chance to talk to those previous characters and a couple of them are a wealth of of knowledge should they survive. And we mentioned it in in the last review of the first chapter. It's very important that you run through that chapter because even though it may seem like, oh, they're making us run through this and it's pointless, it is important because whatever happens in that first scenario, in that prologue, is very important because whoever survives, then the agents get to see that on video and see, okay, who is this person? This person looks like they might have gotten away. We got to track them down. And now now is the time where they get to do that. They get to then contact different intelligence agencies to see if they can figure out who that person is, track them down, then use their resources in order to get into wherever that person is hiding at, whether it's in Mosul or somewhere else. They might have gone to another country even uh, and track them down and, and in, interrogate them and find out what's going on. So on top of just managing all of these various organizations and factions that the agents may come into contact with in order to uh, gain the necessary assets and intelligence that they need in their operation. 
There's also this occult side of things as well. So there's their research into the, the elder sign or their research into the father of war or the um, studying the, the winds of unknown to Adad. If they research more into what the father of war is about, they'll eventually find that there is information inside the narcotic manuscripts. And then there's also some information in this chapter about uh, actually hiring, potentially hiring a researcher or going to read the narcotic manuscripts itself in Greece. Yeah, so they can go to Greece. Uh, they can also go to London. They can go to <laughs> many, many places to find out about these uh, occult things. And all this will help them kind of piece things together as to what exactly they're dealing with. And it might be a good idea for them to do so because they won't have to go in blind and not know what they're facing or how to deal with it. I investigating these occult manuscripts is going to be extremely helpful in the end once they do have to contain the incursion. It's almost integral, actually. Without that, I don't know how they will succeed in the mission. It's a big chapter. It's a very, very overwhelming chapter, I think, overall. But it's an important one because most of the campaign will probably take place within this chapter. So you're going to, even though it's a large one and the campaign is a big book, I think once the campaign proper starts after the briefing, you're mostly going to be within the pages of this one because you'll be going back and forth into the different agencies, the different manuscripts, the different countries, the, you know, all the contacts and all that stuff. So you'll just have to be flipping between a few pages. You won't have to be going back and forth throughout the entire book. Yeah, for, for me, this chapter is definitely laying the groundwork for their for their investigative work when they get to Mosul and when they when they finally get out to the Middle East. The chapter itself concludes by just statting out a bunch of potential assets and characters that they may meet when they finally get to Mosul. So I, I guess that leads us into what we think about this chapter overall. And I gotta say, this chapter feels a bit messy as far as laying out all the information. It feels a bit much like as far as the layout goes i almost like it feels a bit scattered totally agree with you i there are things that i really like about it you know this could lead to some really interesting gaming that's unprecedented in delta in delta green but at the same time there's so much there and it's like you said i i could see where they tried to organize it i i kind of get what they were going for in terms of organization but I don't know that it works. As I was reading through it, I'm like, oh my God, I was really feeling overwhelmed by it. I do wish that there was a little bit more help in terms of tips and recommendations for a handler to manage this massive chapter. Like you said, it seems a little bit messy because there's just so much. And since there's no particular timeline or time frame when each of these things are going to come into play, they can. it's so open, they can come into play at any point and in any order. It really makes it difficult for someone to, to run this. And I think uh, this could have really benefited with from, from a little bit more guidance. I can understand why they wouldn't include it, simply because it is a sandbox. They sort of just give you the pieces and say, fit them yourself. And... I can understand that approach simply simply because of the nature of the campaign itself. So what I would suggest is you really need to understand this chapter 
really inside and out before you even really think about running this campaign. Uh, the, the one section that I would keep as reference is the section called questions and answers. Uh, this section has a, a table with a bunch of sample questions that the investigators might ask about various topics related to the to their investigation and then gives a whole bunch of, in, of useful information uh, answering those questions and how those how those questions affect their notoriety and then as well as uh, various page references as well so i would recommend that you print this table out you have this somewhere handy in your notes when you start to run this and you just keep track of the questions that they're asking and this will help you to sort of steer your your campaign planning in the right direction. It'll help you kind of realize like, what are the players looking for? What are they most interested in? And how can I how can I prep to steer them in the direction that I need to steer them in? It's funny you mention this because this is also this is I was going to mention this, uh, this section as well, because it, it really does help a lot. And this is the kind of assistance that I wish the rest of the chapter had for some other aspects of of the chapter and of the investigation. It's a good start and it definitely is really important information and I agree with you. It is probably the, one of the most useful things that, that you have at your disposal when reading through this chapter. And I agree that you should print it out and have it always available because there is some good stuff here and there are very common things that players might end up coming up with that are referenced here. And then, like you said, there's page numbers. There's also the relevant skill needed to accomplish whatever the question or request is and resources needed, all that kind of stuff. So it, it summarizes it really, really well, and I'm glad that they threw that in there. Without the, these pages in this section, I think this chapter would have been almost unmanageable. So I'm really glad that they threw that in there. I really like the sections where they talk about studying with the occult as well. I really particularly like the studying the narcotic manuscripts and how Pisces, which is another... It's like the British Delta Green, sort of, in a way. Pisces can interfere and get in the way of the player's investigation should they choose to take it to London. And I really find that a really cool a bit of lore and a bit of really cool, like, sidetrack stuff that you could add into the campaign. Like, you could really have the Pisces agents, like, really be a thorn in, in the group's side, like, continuing with their investigations should things not go well for them in London. Uh, I really, I like these aspects, and it's like, there's a lot of really cool stuff here. These are, I think, intended for you to really, you sit down, and you read them, and you understand them, and you take all the notes that you need. You just kind of quickly check for what what role do I need to make doing what. Like, I wouldn't be referencing these in-game. I'd be referencing them in your prep time and then maybe make a, like a couple of quick notes about like what page number do I need for the appendix because this chapter also relies heavily on uh, one of the one of the ending chapters the appendix to sort of flesh out a lot of the information in the book just touching back on what you said about the interaction with Pisces that is one thing about this campaign that I really, really like that's different from any other Delta Green book adventure campaign that has been out. So I know we're sounding a little bit harsh on this this campaign overall. It is just very different and very hard to run for someone who's new. That's why we're so hard on it. But if you're an experienced handler with an experienced group, this could be a really, really cool campaign. 
Uh, so don't think that we don't, don't like it. <laughs> yeah, to the contrary. I really like this campaign. It's just, it is one of those campaigns you will need the time to really understand and to really keep good notes. Like, this is not something that you can kind of just whip together very quickly. Correct. Uh, but back to the Pisces thing, I since you mentioned it, I really, that's one thing about this campaign that I really like is there's so many, it's such a big scope it's so it's probably the largest scope of a can, of a adventure for Delta Green that we've gotten that it it does have the agents kind of cross paths with certain agencies like Pisces and the Outlaws and I really dig that because there's so much in the lore for Delta Green regarding these like Mystic and Pisces and the Outlaws and a couple other organizations that you read about them but you barely really get to cross paths I mean I know there was the one where you there's that one scenario that's an introductory scenario. Um, what was that one called that you really liked and you ran for your players? Um, oh, uh, PX Poker PX Night? PX Poker Night, where you kind of have like the Majestic program and all that kind of interact with the players, but they're not quite Delta Green agents in that one yet. So, and sorry for the somewhat spoiler alert <laughs> on that one, but um, the agents aren't quite Delta Green. They're just this is how they get into Delta Green. So it's not the same as this scenario here. This campaign that we're reviewing today actually has Delta Green agents interacting with other organizations. Majestic doesn't quite make a, an appearance here, but Pisces and the Outlaws. And it's really interesting and really cool that they actually brought these together to cross paths and interact with them. Because I think it can create such a fun dynamic for for Delta Green lore and for the for a campaign that you might be playing. It's something that doesn't happen very often, and I think uh, I really like that they went for it here. Yeah, this is a sandbox that definitely works. You just have to put in the work to get it to run well. As with most sandboxes. But, you know, I mean, there are, there are sandboxes that I think they've done for Delta Green specifically that are just super well done to the point where it is it becomes... A dream to run it because of the way it's written like specifically I'm, I'm talking about the last equation that's like my favorite sandbox adventure for delta green that is a sandbox that i still feel is done so well and so right i love it but it's a small scope so i understand why this one is it's a little bit more challenging because it's such a large scale one thing i also wanted to note about this campaign which i don't know if we have yet but this campaign definitely assumes that you own both the Handler's Guide and the Agent's Handbook. Uh, so if you don't own those books, you're gonna you're gonna want them if you want to run this campaign. Yeah, they mention a couple of rituals and a couple of artifacts. Um, other Delta Green scenarios have like taken this snippet of that particular or relevant spell or relevant artifact and put the text in the adventure. I don't know why this one didn't do that. I'm going to, it's probably because it's so big, like this book is already over 200 pages that it just made sense to just have it point to point to the original text. But I do kind of agree with you. I wish that at least at, at least some of it, maybe at least for the agent's handbook stuff, they had included some stuff here. Specifically, I kind of wish that they had included some more equipment for agent's in the scenario because it's it basically just goes yeah go look at the stuff in the agent's handbook and figure out what you need from there and it's like i kind of wish that they had gone a little more into that but it's kind of a minor nitpick for me yeah yeah i mean i understand like they're 
they made those books and they put that information in those books. So, you know, obviously that's there already and it has been printed already. So they want you to own it and that's fine. I mean, that I totally understand and keeping the page count low, this book would have probably added 20 more pages at least if they included all that. So I do understand. But uh, yeah, uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to add for this one? One thing I'd recommend too is definitely have the PDF when you do your prep because being able to flip back and forth between the chapter three and the appendix is very handy because there is a lot of pieces in the appendix where it kind of delves into more detail about particular aspects or mechanics. We haven't, which we haven't mentioned yet, but but we'll talk about in in the final portion of the review is the mechanics that this campaign does add to Delta Green. Uh, but needless to say, when you're doing these um, you know beginning sessions, you will need to reference that a lot. So that is kind of a minor a minor gripe with me is that you are kind of flipping doing a lot of flipping back and forth in the book. I really like the scenes that the book lays out. I really love the briefing scenes with Sloane and Gwyn, and I think that that leads to a lot of great role-playing experiences with your group because you've got this sort of like stuffy military officer who's very much by the book, wants to see receipts for everything, and needs to keep everything hush-hush. And then you've got this guy, Sloane, who's a total wild card, who doesn't play by the rules, <laughs> who, you know, kind of comes in and makes a big fuss and kind of causes a bunch of problems for for Gwyn, but ends up being a useful asset for the players and kind of can steer them in the right direction. I really like that aspect of this. The organization, while I do feel is a bit lacking, I mean... You got to put the stuff somewhere, I guess. And it's just something to keep in mind when you when you go to prep for this um, for this campaign. But I think overall, there's a lot of really great information here. It's just getting and making the time to parse all of it out. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And um, I think we'll we'll discuss further like our overall thoughts in the next review. But um, I agree with you. I think. There are so many great things about this campaign and the things that we're critical of, we're critical of just because we, we love Delta Green and we always say when we review a Delta Green scenario that even the worst Delta Green scenario is is above average in terms of quality compared to some other RPGs. So this campaign is no exception. The, the briefing scene is one of my favorite things between the prologue and the briefing scene. I think it's such a cool way to start this campaign and kick it off. It is so well done. I can't I can't think of anything that I would do different between those two chapters and the, those two scenes. And it is, I think, something that will grip your players from the very beginning and get them excited to play this. So it is really well done. And just like I had said about The Last Equation, it being a sandbox done right, this one, the briefing is done better than any other Delta Green briefing that we've ever seen in a scenario. It is so well done. Uh, and then as far as the chapter, you know, <laughs> chapter three, uh, yeah, it's so big. It's really hard. I mean, again, I'm critical of it because it, when you're running it, it's definitely going to be something you're going to be taking a lot of notes and going back and forth. And it's still going to be probably difficult to run. And I'm critical because 
you know, I don't know what they could have done different. I just know that it is going to be difficult. And I don't know if they could have done something different, to be honest, you know. Uh, I'm writing a D&D campaign, or now Pathfinder campaign, and there's a, a whole chapter that I have that's open-ended. And I myself am struggling with that, because I'm reading through it, and I know that people, when they read it, they're going to be like, this is this is really hard to keep track of. We're going to have to go back and forth. And I don't know what to do to make it a little smoother, easier to run. It's it's definitely a hard thing to do. And these guys, they're professional game designers, and they have clearly certain, uh, they had a little bit of trouble with this, I'm sure, with organizing it properly. And um, I don't blame them for it. I don't. It's it's a good It's a good story that's well laid out, and there's a lot of things in there that they've thrown in that are detailed and not unnecessarily detailed. They're absolutely necessary, but it's so big that it's just unwieldy, maybe. Yeah, it's, I think it's just, it's such a large scope compared to all of the other sort of open-ended scenarios that we've seen in Delta Green that there's just so much to keep track of that I think when you initially read through it, it will be daunting. But I think this is one of those, one of those campaigns you're going to have to read through a couple of times. And... If you're no stranger to these types of investigative games, that's just kind of par for the course with some of them. I know with, with Masks of Naralethotep, I've read that campaign at least three or four times at this point, just prepping it for my own game, for my own group. This is just going to be one of those instances where, you know, it's going to be a lot to to chew, but once you, once you start chewing, it'll taste pretty good, I bet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well put. <laughs> So uh, I think that does it for today's review on Iconoclast, uh, part two of Iconoclast. Yes, in part three, we will go over chapter four, chapter five, and then we will wrap things up with the appendix and our overall thoughts. Uh, So we hope you stay tuned. We hope you enjoyed part two of our review, and we will see you all in part three. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and joined with me was... Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And we will see you all next time.